0: feet are standing within your gates Jerusalem Jerusalem built as a city walled round about here the tribes have come the tribes of the Lord as it was decreed for Israel to give thanks the name of the Lord here are the thrones of justice the thrones of the house of David for the peace of Jerusalem pray may those who love you prosper May peace be within your ramparts prosperity within your towers. For family and friends, I say, may peace be yours. For the house of the Lord, our God, I pray, may blessings be yours. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, So tonight, what we want to do is for the first 30 minutes, uh, just talk about the nature of Christian worship and specifically the Mass. Um, And then after that, we're going to go downstairs and Father Clark's going to walk us through the Mass. Um, On the back bar there, we have miscellettes. You'll see them in our like blue books, but these are for you to take home. Um, I'm going to work on recording the video, just in case you're unfamiliar with the various different Mass parts and where to find them. Um, That was one of the biggest recommendations that we had last year is we need a video to make it really easy to like know where to find. The thing is, once Easter comes, so like actually on the Easter vigil, the page numbers are going to change. But like they'll roughly be in the same spot. Um, But at least for you to get familiar with that if you're learning the mass parts uh, there the psalm we heard though was a song of ascent. so when people would make pilgrimages to jerusalem to visit the temple um, they would be chanting or singing this psalm as they enter into the temple Uh, and talking about communal worship um, we early on in the year kind of chronicled the change of our focus and how we build buildings and was Who had the Beware of the Fog car out there? KU fan, okay, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, (laughs) I know Jake is a KU fan. So I grew up a huge KU basketball fan. Them and the Broncos were my two first loves. I actually grew up uh, with a great disdain towards Nebraska Cornhuskers. Now I love the Cornhuskers, um, and I would forgo any other success to have us regain back football success. Whole different story, Um, but for the longest time, I always wanted to go to Fog Allen Fieldhouse, where they play. Um, It's truly one of the greatest places to watch a sporting event in the United States. And I was so fortunate to get tickets when they were playing West Virginia, and if they clinched that game, if they won that game, they would clinch their record-setting 14th straight conference title. And I called my dad because my wife, Kelly, was at track nationals. And I said, hey, I got an extra ticket. Do you want to come down? So he drove down the four-hour trip to Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, we went to the game. KU was down by 20. And they ended up coming back and winning the game. But during the course of the comeback, I just remember leaving my seat and going and walking around the concourse underneath all the stadium. And everyone's above you. And you just hear this roar and this noise as the comeback comes on. And they end up winning the game. And it was uh, a memorable and awe-inspiring encounter with uh, the game of basketball. Um, This experience of being a fan and rooting. But I lead this just because in all that, it pales in comparison to encountering our Lord in the Mass. It might seem ordinary if you've been before, you know, week in, week out, but there's a reality of heaven breaking breaking into the world when we encounter um, the Mass and encounter our Lord in that. And tonight I just want to share kind of what's the nature of what we're partaking in. Um, So at the beginning of our handout here, we just have some questions for you to spend a few moments on. So take a few moments to think how many different ways you can use the word worship and then serve in a sentence. So um, I actually, in a different version of this class, this talk, uh, have all the definitions and the way that you can use those words. So it's more than just one. So take a moment here to think about that. And then if you want to write down any thoughts of What's your experience of Christian worship? How would you describe it to someone out on the street?
1: Look at the again. Yeah. <laughs> I got stuck out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe take another minute. It doesn't have to be exact. I just want you to get your brains... Thinking about these two verbs, and then a little reflection on how you'd describe to somebody who's never encountered Christian worship. How would you describe it? All right, what are some different ways we might use the word worship? Door. A door.
1: Bow okay. down. Okay. Okay. Lift up. Lift up. Okay. Hmm.
0: How about serve? What are some different ways you can use the word serve?
1: <laughs> What's Things you could, like, ways you could.
0: oh no that's perfect like um so maybe like serve a meal yeah,
1: yeah. A
0: ball. So ball, like yeah. oh okay great serve a volleyball yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't would not have thought about yeah. that one
1: some people say uh you got served <laughs> you own somebody
0: good <laughs> good <makes> <laughs>
1: Sure. <laughs> um, guys, okay, that of, like assist, help,
0: okay. Yeah. great um awesome oh, okay so then that last question um maybe this is just like the opening question if you're not catholic would you say and you're looking to join the church would you say that your experience of going to Christian worship service is different than when you'd go to a Catholic worship service? How so?
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, okay. Music's different.
0: Oh, the music's different. How so?
1: Um, it can be like, there's traditional verses. I mean,
0: so, just if I can hear you right, Jeremy, like you're saying there's a structure to the Catholic Mass, but at least that sometimes a Protestant service is going to be unstructured It might change week to yeah. week. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, in my case,
1: I put a, uh, uh, well, number one is welcoming,
0: mm. and number two, I find it peaceful as yeah. well. So, at least it was a little foreign to you
1: i yeah
0: yeah of course they would say we we are I I use the word foreign just because um, at least compared to the experience of a normal catholic mass that like seems like you're not even in the same sphere but uh, on the flip side uh, I, one thing you'll recognize is you can go anywhere in the world And it's the same. Um, I'll just throw that out there for like a description. Okay. Uh, Very good. Uh, So we're talking about it. What I want to do today is just explain kind of why the Mass has the form that it does. um, And ultimately, like from a conceptual theological level of what's taking place and why... does it exist in this form? So on the top there of page two, just have a little bit of review. Um, Vern, who's been here the last couple of weeks before Christmas, uh, he's taught with us in the past. This year, his course load over at the Emmaus Institute is just a little too um, full. And so he might join us here later on in the spring, but his fall semester, uh, he gave a class a while back ago and he gave this definition of covenant. A divine human bond predicated on God's faithful promises and man's willing obedience, providing the framework by which God's program, his desires, his will, his kingdom moves forward towards its goal. So it kind of encapsulates everything that we've been talking about in the fall and leading up to this point. God had a plan, and because of corruption, he sent his son. And that son redeems us and brings us to restoration. And ultimately, we're going to have a world that's renewed and God will be all in all. And God, there in 0.2, continued to make himself known, encounter individuals and challenge them, but then also equip them to go and be blessings in the world, to bring about this covenant program in which uh, God wanted to restore all things. And the fulfillment of that covenant is Jesus Christ and then his body, the church. Tonight, where I'd like us to begin is to explore a little bit of the connection between that word worship and serve. How many of you, before this night, if I said those two words are intimately connected, would have said, I don't see the connection before that. But yet, when we think about the definitions, when we worship, we hold something in high esteem, we give our devotion to it, but then even we heard in the word serve, we're selfishly putting one's being at the feet of another. And let's, if you have a Bible, turn to the third chapter of the book of Exodus. Because you see this connection even in some different translations. So If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus 3. You think back all the way to Moses. We talked about how the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. God sent Moses and he rescued them, bringing them out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. So this is when Moses encounters God in the burning bush. Verse 7 here in chapter 3. But the Lord said, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry of complaint against their slave drivers. So I know well that they are suffering. Therefore I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and lead them out of of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the country of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So indeed the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have truly noted that the Egyptians are oppressing them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh to lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will be with you. And this shall be your proof that it is I who sent you. When you bring my people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. Does anyone in their Bible have a different word for worship in verse 12? You have worship? So if anyone want to double check, just so you're not like like, trying to make a false connection, you could look at my RSV uh, translation. Um, It tends to be like the more academic and more word-to-word translation of sacred scripture that's used um, not just in the Catholic world. This has the full canon of scripture, but um, in the Christian world, for people who are doing academic studies, looking for an English translation, in there, instead of the word worship, it is serve you will serve god on this mountain and so um, our language english even begins to say there's a key here of what god is doing by bringing about the exodus and so there at the bottom of page two um, we just heard there's two reasons on why god is going to bring the israelites out of egypt He wants to give them their own space. He wants to give them safety and security, a place for them to dwell. That's the giving of the promised land. But then he wants to establish a way that they can be in right relationship with him through worship, through recognizing him as creator, him as their provider. And so he actually says, when I bring you out, I will reestablish right relationship with you through worship. My worship. And then, uh, just for the brevity of tonight, because we wanted to walk through the Mass, um, on the back of your handout, you can actually see, you could do a little bit of Bible study. Because when Moses goes back to Pharaoh, he actually goes, and his claim is not just, hey, let us go out because we're going to have a land. His purpose of why he states, you must let us go, is because we must go and worship God. And they haggle over that point various times. You can see down here just the references of where you're going to find the scripture. But each time that Moses goes to Pharaoh, something about the worship of God is revealed. And so that first point you say, uh, Moses goes and says, hey, we need to go to this mountain to worship God. And Pharaoh says, worship God here. You can't go out there because I think you're just going to run away. And Moses like, I can't do that. God says we have to go to this mountain. And so when we see that, we see worship of God demands its own interior space. He's the one that ordains how to worship him. And it means that civil governments, other people cannot impose restrictions on the worship of God. That's why freedom of religion is one of the fundamental rights of a human being. God's made it that way. We have to have this interior space to be free to worship him. Uh, a second time in Exodus 10, there's this rebuttal. And Moses says, hey, we got to go and worship. And Pharaoh comes back and says, no, only the men can worship. Only, only men go. Um, your sons and daughters and your flocks, you have to, they have to stay here. And then from this account, we see, you know, the worship of God is not just designed for one group of people. It's for all of our possessions, all of our families. So there's an inclusivity in it. And then in the last one, we have a rebuttal and say, you guys can go, but you have to leave things here so that you have a little collateral to come back. And Moses says back in Exodus 10 there, later on in the chapter, like, when we get out to the mountain, God's going to ask, ask us for sacrifice. He's going to ask us for something, and we don't know what he's going to ask us for, so we have to take all that we have. And in this encounter, we see that the worship of God employs our goods, our possessions, and it's God himself that's asking us to be a gift. And when Moses says, Hey, we have to take all that we have because we don't know, it has actually a heightening to say, God just doesn't want an exchange of things. He wants an exchange of our very self. He wants our whole self to have our whole self disposed to Him to be a blessing in the way that He desires. So we have. Revelation from the book of Exodus. Worship of God demands our own interior space. God is teaching us how to be in relationship with him. It's for all. And it's not according necessarily to the current social, political, or cultural norms that might be accepted widely by the world. And then God doesn't just want a transactions of goods and services. He wants an exchange of persons. I give myself to you. Will you give yourself to me? On the top there of page three, we actually see maybe you've heard this called generally mass uh, and the Catholic church is called mass, um, but it hasn't always necessarily been so. It was originally called liturgy. And the word liturgy, so maybe you've heard that term before, it comes from a Greek word, liturgia, um, which literally means work for the people. And it's a little translation of liturgos or public service. And so that's why you'll see some translations the Bible renders worship as serve. So when you're worshiping at liturgy, when you're serving at liturgy, You're doing your service. You're putting yourself at the disposal of God. And so the two words are intimately connected. We put the context of the Exodus around the Last Supper. You know that account of Jesus gathering his 12 apostles, sharing a last meal before he's crucified, It's to celebrate the Passover, the meal that was the culmination, the consummation of the Israelites going out of Egypt and being saved. And so they're commemorating this meal, they're participating in it one more time again. And so we'll probably speed through. We don't need to read through these verses. But in 2.1, do this in memory of me, we have just uh, the words of St. Luke in the gospel where Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, to participate in this event that brought freedom to our people. Then he took bread, said a blessing, broke it, and then gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which will be given for you. Do this in memory of me. And likewise, the cup after they have eaten. This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. The Old Covenant was defined by the Passover in the Mosaic Law. The New Covenant is designed by this Passover meal that Jesus institutes at the Last Supper. And then we hear St. Paul say the same words. I've received what's been handed on to me, and I've handed it on to you. That the Lord at the Last Supper took bread, broke it, and said those words that we just heard. And do this... In remembrance of the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, they expound on this command of St. Paul to do this until he comes. The command of Jesus to repeat his actions and words until he comes does not only ask us to remember Jesus and what he did. It is directed at the liturgical celebration by the apostles and their successors, the memorial of Christ of his death, of his resurrection, of his death, of his resurrection, and of his intercession in the presence of the Father. From the beginning, the Church has been faithful to the Lord's command. Of the Church of Jerusalem, it is written: "They devoted themselves, the apostles, teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers." We have God walking his people in the Exodus through how he is to be worshipped. He sets up a covenant with them. And then we have Jesus coming on the same night of that same covenant, giving instructions on how God is to be worshipped. And he gives them a form, do this in memory of me. And then we see there in Acts 2.42, That breaking of the bread, that was a term that was used in the early church to signify the mass, this form of worship in which they participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through some liturgical or some formalized way. 2.2 there, we have tradition. So... What follows on the next page is the writing of St. Justin Martyr. If you remember my peg doll, I should have grabbed him out tonight. He wrote this in the year 155. And I just want you to listen to it and think, is this something that I might recognize? On the day we call the day of the sun, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read, as much as time permits. When the reader has finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for others, wherever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and action and faithful to the commandments so as to obtain eternal salvation. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. Then some people bring bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe. the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit, for a considerable time he gives thanks, in Greek, Eucharist, that we have been judged worthy of these gifts. When he has concluded the prayers and thanksgiving, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying amen. When he who presides has given thanks and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the eucharisted bread, wine and water and take to them to those take them to those who are absent. So first we have some readings and then presider gets up and he gives them a little sermon we might call it or a homily and then they have prayers and then bread and wine are brought forward and they offer praise or the, the presider offers praise and then finally they're given Eucharisted bread which is maybe you can already see it a word Eucharist but does it seem like what he's describing here is the Mass? Do you see its form? So, from early on in the tradition, we have the same form of worship that's being handed on. And this is where the tradition of the Mass comes from. Um, it's outside of the context of the class... Um, I'd like to describe why like some of the experiences now are so different um, but I wanted to highlight this of just saying like this is where we draw our roots from of uh, in the Catholic Church is this tradition that's been passed on and Justin was a church father and so was in the time frame of being discipled by those who were Jesus's disciples um, this. Celebration, this way of worshiping God was the commonplace form in all the early church. And then there on page 5 and 3.0, I'm just going to quickly talk the liturgy. The liturgy, of the Eucharist, or the Mass, has two fundamental structures that's been preserved from centuries down to our own days. It forms There's two components to the Mass that have a fundamental unity. There's gathering, liturgy, the Word, readings, homily, and general intercession. And then liturgy of the Eucharist with the presentation of the bread, wine, and the consecratory thanksgiving and communion. But together they form one single act of worship. The Eucharistic table is set for us Set for us is the table both of the Word of God and the body of the Lord. Is this not the same movement as the paschal meal of the risen Jesus with his disciples? So, Chad's sick tonight, but their whole institute that he does for his profession its called the Emmaus Institute. So, um, what is bolded here is the account. Walking with them, the apostles, on the road to Emmaus, he explained the scriptures to them. Sitting with them at table, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. So we even see this pattern in St. Luke's uh, Gospel. But Chad might argue it's the first Mass. The first full Mass, because Jesus is explaining the Scriptures. He's the Word of God. He's setting them on fire. They're being nourished by the Word, but then he nourishes them also with his body. Last thing just to point us towards, there on the bottom of page five, is um, the underlying reality of what's taking place at Mass. Not only is it a time where the church gathers to worship, but it's more deeply a participation in the passion of Christ. This comes from Pope Benedict XVI, maybe known by that name, his... Real name is Joseph Ratzinger, so he wrote this book when he was still just a cardinal. All worship is now a participation in this Pasoch of Christ and is passing over from divine to human, from death to life, to the unity of God and man. Thus, Christian worship is the practical application and fulfillment of the words that Jesus proclaimed on the first day of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, in the temple in Jerusalem. I When I am lifted up from the earth will draw all men to myself. So when we participate in the reality, we're participating in the life of Jesus. We're becoming cruciform and giving the nourishment to do so. And then he continues, ultimately it is the very life of man, man himself as living righteously, that is the true worship of God. But life only becomes real life when it receives its form from looking toward God. Cult, maybe we have heard this word, we even used it earlier, uh, actually is just a more traditional word for worship. I can explain a little bit if you have any questions on that. It exists in order to communicate this vision and give life in such a way that glory is given to God. What Benedict's saying is just kind of what we hearken back. To be in right relationship with God is to worship Him, to come and see our form of life in His life, to not just see Him as an inspiration, to be molded by Him, to be modeled in His presence. And that's why Catholics have the obligation to go to Mass. It's not so much of an obligation as it's a recognizing that this event, this person is the core nucleus of one's life. And you must be participating in it week in, week out, to be strengthened. So it's not so much yeah, of an obligation as much as when one recognizes what they've encountered, they say, without the day of the Lord, how could we be? the day of the Lord we could not exist Um, because it's only in looking towards him by hearing week after week the great works of God in the liturgy of the word and then coming to encounter him in the Eucharist that one is able to be able to have the strength to hold out that cruciform life on the back page we just have that walkthrough. if you want to go through kind of The pair of Pharaoh and Moses, and what Pharaoh tries to compromise, and then ultimately what um, Moses, the author of Exodus, is revealing to us about how God is to be worshipped. Before we switch to walking through the Mass, anyone have any questions?
1: Why is it called Mass?
0: I don't, I had that on a different thing. So it comes from the Latin word uh, at the ending. Itamisa est, which means go forth you are sent. So mass or missile, if father has his Roman missile there, projectile. Um, so uh, the reality that one participates at the end of mass is, hey, you've received the Lord. Now go share him with the world. You're not supposed to stay here. Go go be a blessing. So it's a reminder for all of us to be like, you gotta go. All right, Uh, real quick in the transition, if you all wanna go and grab a missalette, then the brown cover back there, um, we're gonna use that to walk through the various pages.
2: Well, Happy New Year. Uh, I get the privilege of walking through the Mass with you. Um, So we'll start with the the missalette here. Um, As Blake said, the missalette means it's the shorter version of the Roman Missal. This book is what we have on the altar, and so it's kind of laid out a little bit different than this, but um, I'll just kind of pass it around if you guys want to look at it um, as we're going through discussing this. Start with Abby. Okay, we'll start on page three. Um, much of this, I'm just going to give you a, a very broad overview in about 15 minutes of the Mass, um, but a lot of this is going to be taken from a, a book I read several years ago called A Biblical Walk Through the Mass by Ted Shree. So... It's spelled like this S R I. So I think it's a biblical walkthrough or biblical basis. I'll let you, you want to write that as I just keep on talking. Um, everything through in the Mass is actually biblical. It's taken a lot of different words from the New Testament, from the Old Testament. And so we start off with the introductory, right? And so we'll just kind of do this together. We, um, there is the entrance chant. Um, entrance chant is what's preferred, because Gregorian chant is the official kind of chant of the church. It's interesting. Um, we were talking to some rabbis um, when I was in the Holy Land, and they, we were asked them about how does, how does it sound when they chant the Psalms? And they're like, oh, like you guys do, the Gregorian chant. It's kind of like the same tone, intuition, back and forth. So we have the Gregorian chant. Oftentimes in the United States, we don't use it as much because you can replace it with a hymn. You know, So the traditional four hymns. But there's the entrance chant, and then we'll start on page seven, the greeting. And so we always start in the name of the Father, and in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's recalling the fact that we were baptized into the life of the Trinity. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you were not baptized in the ancient days, you were never actually allowed to go into the liturgy. You stayed outside. Okay. Um, And then there's the greetings. These are some of the same greetings you will see um, from St. Paul when he starts off his epistles. He says things like, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the community of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay? Um, after the greeting, we have a penitential rite. So we recognize that we are unworthy to be in the presence of God. So the penitential rite can take several different forms. The most common one you will see on Sundays is what's called the confitier, the Latin word, I confess. To Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters. Okay. But there is also a sprinkling rite, which we typically do during the Easter season, and we recall our baptismal promises in which we renounce sin, we renounce Satan, and we profess our faith in God. And then the celebrant goes around the church and sprinkles people. Okay. One of the fun things we like to do at Easter, we have a kind of a broom looking thing, you sprinkle. It's the super soaker of spiritual blessings, just dousing someone. (laughs) Um, Then after the uh, penitential rite is number four on page nine, is Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. You'll notice underneath there's this word, Kyrie eleison. Do you know obviously we know it's lord have mercy. Do you know what language that is? Greek. Good. Good guess. Okay. So the beautiful the beautiful thing about the liturgy, the mass is it is the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. On the top of the cross, you see the words I or the letters I N R I. You heard this story about some uh, atheist boy grew up in an orphanage. He didn't know anything about Jesus, but he saw a cross and he's like, "That man must have done something very important because I see him all around." And so he would talk to his friends about Enri. That's what he called him, Enri. Okay, so. Inri, I-N-R-I, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is what language? Yesu, Nazarene, Rexus, Judea. It's, It's in Latin. Okay. And then so, Pontius Pilate had it written in Latin because of the Romans, in Aramaic or Hebrew because of the Israelites that were there, And many of the Israelites at that time spoke Greek. So he wrote it in all three languages. So that's why in Mass, we incorporate all three languages. You may not even know that. Like, Amen. Is that English? We say it all the time, right? But it's actually a Hebrew word that says, I I believe. Or Hosanna. Come and save us, right? So we use these Hebrew words. This is the only time we use Greek. Kyrie eleison. Okay, so then after the Lord have mercy, we have the glory to God in the highest and on peace to people of goodwill comes from the gospel of Luke, in which the angels come to Jesus, or the angels come to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. The Gloria is said only during, well, it's, it's said at, um, every Sundays except for Sundays in Lent and Advent, because they are penitential seasons. When we're wearing purple, we don't say the Gloria. So it usually um, makes Mass about three minutes quicker. Okay, then after the Gloria, we have the Collect. Call Call God Collect. Um, So, um, and the reason why this changes, because it changes with each Mass. The colic has oftentimes the reference to the readings or the liturgical day. So that's why there are different colics. Then after the colics, we get into the um, second part of the Mass. The first part is the introductory rites. The second part is liturgy of the Word. So there is a first reading, and the first reading generally is taken from the Old Testament, except for in Easter season, because during Easter season, they're taking it from the New Testament, particularly the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, then after the first reading, we have the Responsorial Psalm, okay, and this is oftentimes spoken um, during daily Mass, but it should be sung on Sundays, Um, the Jewish people would not just say the Psalms. They would chant them. It'd be like going to a basketball game and you stand up and then you have someone say, Oh, say can you see by the Lee light, right? If we start, can anyone speak the national anthem? It's harder to remember it, right, if you speak it, but you can sing it. If we all started singing it, you're like, the melody helps you remember. And that's the beautiful thing about the way that the Jewish people would learn the scriptures, and that's the importance of chant, also because you can remember it better. Um, after the responsorial psalm, we have the second reading, and the second reading is always taken from the New Testament. And then we have the gospel. Okay. So let's turn to the gospel for this weekend. Um, We are in the second Sunday in Ordinary Time. So, January 14th. So, the nice thing about these books, and you guys will be able to take this home, okay? Um, These are yours to keep. Uh, The nice thing about this book is it's dated. Where some people come to church, they actually have their own little missile. So, it's like that book with also the readings and you can actually kind of follow along every day with it. But you kind of have to know the liturgical um, season. You have to kind of know it's not actually dated. So this these are kind of more user-friendly. Um, <clears throat> the readings uh, on Sundays go through a three-year cycle, A, B, and C. Right now we are currently in cycle B. Okay. And then the daily readings go on a two-year cycle. So if you went to Mass every single day for three years, you would, probably get, you would have essentially about 95% of, of the Bible. Because the Bible wasn't printed. You know, not, no, not, not everyone could afford the Scriptures because you had monks that would have to sit there and write it all out. And so the, the Bible was actually read audibly in a community. And so people would go to Mass every single day understand three years um, what um, the the readings of the scriptures were typically the first reading and the gospel really kind of coincide with a theme and then the second reading is more uh, moral how to actually live out your life okay but not always sometimes they all three line up really well Um, after the gospel Comes the homily, yeah. <laughs> you're you know, you're right, it is. And uh, what's the difference between a sermon and a homily? Yeah, because we say homily, right? Blake had a good explanation the other day when you talked about it.
0: Expanding on the scriptures, like what's present was read, a sermon is more directed. It can be on a particular scripture, or it could be just on other aspects of the Christian life.
2: So the, the most common thing is on, on, oftentimes for a daily mass, it might be a life of a saint. it's their feast day, and there's someone to model. And so I'm going to talk maybe about that saint um, as an example for us. Whereas on Sundays, no, you got to start with an explanation of the scriptures. You might bring an example of someone in, but you have this. Your basis is starting with the scriptures. Um, the church says that homilies should be between seven to ten minutes. Okay, usually if it's shorter than that, like a daily mass, three to five minutes, uh, it's called a homilet. Homilies are seven to ten. If it goes over ten, it's called a homilong.
1: <laughs>
2: and if it goes over fifteen, it's a homolepic. And over 20, it's (laughs) homilicide. It's right there in Acts of the Apostles. Paul was preaching all night, and little Eutychus, little kid, he's in the window. And what happens? He falls out, right? Who puts a little kid in the window seal on the second floor, right? But he's dead, and Paul goes and raises him back to life, right? So, the moral of this story us as preachers, we got to get to the point, and that way you don't fall asleep. Okay, so after the homily, We have the profession of faith. Um, Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? So what do we believe? This goes to the Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea in the year 325, and it's also the Constantinople Creed in 381. During the Easter time, there's even a more ancient creed, what, what the early church believed. It's called the Apostles' Creed, and it was used in the Church of Rome. So, um, usually during Easter time um, and Lent, we could use that. Um, After the creed comes the universal prayers, also known as the prayers of the faithful or prayer uh, intentions. So, uh, there are four things that are supposed to be in for Sunday prayers of the faithful. We pray for the church leaders. We pray for our nation's leaders. We pray for people who are sick and people who have died. And then there's usually other intentions that you could add. But Those are the four main intentions. And then after that, we have the um, collection. We'll go into the liturgy of the Eucharist. So we're singing music, right? And then the baskets are being passed around. And it's to show that people have a, a, a part to play in the liturgy. Not just your responses, but what are you offering up to God? And so people in the ancient days would bring a lamb or a goat or a chicken, you know, to church, right? And they'd be running around. I don't know. But, but this is what they were offering um, up to God um, to help pay for um, the priests or the sisters or whoever. And so they'd bring all their offerings. Now we just pass around a basket. People drop in their money. Um, I've been to a mass in Uganda and they do like a a dollar dance. You know, it's really quite, They like people process up the aisle, and they've got their dollars, and they're coming in, and they they drop it down, and then the priest goes over there. Do it again, right? Not enough money. (laughs) So this went on for 30 minutes, I kid you not. But the Ugandans, their liturgies, their masses, take about three hours. Um, But anyways, but the important thing is, it's the the bread and the wine are usually brought up in the offertory so it's like the people of god bring it to the church and says do something with this we want you to change this bread and wine into the body and blood of christ because i also want my heart to be changed i want to be changed from a sinner into a saint do something with this so then there's the presentation of the gifts the priest prays over the gifts and then, after the priest prays over the gifts, he tells everyone to stand, and then, as they all stand, um, there is the prayer over the offerings and much like the opening prayer, also known as the colic, this changes. so on this coming Sunday, it will be on page eighty six there on January fourteenth um, after the prayer over the gifts is the Eucharistic prayer, we get into what's called the preface. You know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And then there are different, uh, this can be sung or it can be spoken. Generally on Sunday it's, it's sung, but there are different uh, prefaces depending on which, which Eucharistic prayer you use. Um, and oftentimes it calls to mind, a uh, relationship with God, the Father, and then the Son, and then the angelic beings, all the angels. I, I, I was looking to see if it was in, I don't know if it's actually in any of these ones here, but there's a, a typical one for Sundays, and it goes to the different choirs of angels. You know, um, the, there's the cherubs, the seraphs. Um, the virtues, the powers, the dominions. And when I was at a former church and I'd chant that, and he'd, this little boy, he heard the word minions. He's like, Mom, the minions are coming. <laughs> like, no. Minions serve the evil Guru, dominions serve the loving God. <laughs> okay. And then then we get to the uh, holy, holy, holy. Okay. This found, is found in the, the book of Revelation where all the angels. So at this point, we are actually being lifted up into the heavenly realm. The heavens are torn open, much like when Jesus is baptized. The, the heavens are opened up, and the angels and the saints are all present. They're surrounding us at that moment. Okay? Remember the story of Jacob? And you look at our mural in here, Jacob's got a ladder. What's going up and down the ladder? The angels, right? And it's alluding to, even in Eucharistic prayer number one, Take, he's referring to the angel to take it up, the sacrifice of heaven. Okay. So heaven and earth kiss uh, during this point, the liturgy of the Eucharist. We'll go more in depth about this when we get to um, studying actually uh, the Eucharist itself. Um, so there are four different Eucharistic prayers ordinarily used. One, two, three, and four. Um, four can only be used if you're wearing green because it's only for ordinary time and that then Eucharistic prayer one is called the roman canon which um, is most popular probably on sundays Eucharistic prayer two is the shortest so it's usually used for daily mass and then eucharistic prayer three is pretty short too but there's an insert that you could add the saint of the day so anytime i'm celebrating the saint of the day i use eucharistic prayer three and then oftentimes three or one on Sundays. So it's uh, the beautiful thing. It's The, the church is like, uh, as the priest up there, you feel like you're the quarterback and you can call different options or audibles. going to change. But um, after the liturgy of the Eucharist comes this page 98. Uh, the great... Um, doxology through him, with him, and in him, O oh God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory, that's the word doxus in Greek means glory, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever, and then your response, amen. Okay, so then after the Liturgy of the Eucharist, we come to uh, the communion rite, so we're all standing. And then we say the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. After the Our Father, um, we have the sign of peace. Um, and this is optional. The sign of peace, is, is it doesn't really say in the Missalette, but in the Roman Missal, it says it's optional. There's definitely times where you don't want to do the sign of peace, like daily Mass, and you're not actually that close to anyone. You have people around me like this. <laughs> That's not what the sign of peace is supposed to be. Or it's flu season, or there's a pandemic. Okay? So sign of peace is optional. And then um, comes the Lamb of God on page 100. Uh, and this is what John the Baptist, when he pointed out Jesus to the first disciples, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so we're pointing out this is the Lamb of God and Jesus is being raised up. So you guys are ready to come and receive the Lamb of God. And then the people's response, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So to know where that's come, what story that's come from. Change the word soul to servant. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come enter my roof under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Remember the story of the centurion? He had a servant that was sick and dying, and he sent messengers to Jesus, and Jesus was going to come into his home, and he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home, Lord. Just say the word, and I know you'll heal him. And it's kind of like us. We're not worthy to have Jesus come into our, the home of our soul, but nevertheless, he wants to come in, okay? Okay. Um, And then uh, is the Communion Antiphon or Communion Chant. And oftentimes we don't do that because we have the hymn instead. So this coming Sunday's Communion Chant will be on page 102, January 14th. And then we'll come after Communion. A period of silence can be observed, and then everyone, at this time, we're cleaning up the altar, Um, and then when everything is cleaned up, the priest says, let us pray, everyone stands, and then we have the closing prayer, or sorry, the prayer after communion. So this Sunday's will be on page 106, second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Pour on us, O Lord, the spirit of your love and in your kindness. Make those you have nourished by this one heavenly bread, one in mind and heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then on page 108 comes the uh, concluding rites, the dismissal. And there's, there's different um, different chants or phrases that the priest can say go forth the Mass is ended go and announce the Gospel of the Lord or go in peace glorify the Lord with your life or just simply go in peace we all process out and go to Stoffers for breakfast (laughs) any questions on the flow of the liturgy of the Mass I know that was like the Mass in 15 minutes Yeah, page 90. Because the the words are bolded in here for your guys' response. But in that Roman Missal there for us, those words are actually bolded for us. So it's kind of like reverse um, for us, uh, the celebrant. When the priest says, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. Take this, all of you, and drink for it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out. For you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. So, those are the most important words. And so, you don't want to mess those up. I was probably ordained a priest for about, I don't know, six, seven years. And this other priest came in and he said, Hey, Father, I think you're missing a word in the liturgy of the Eucharist. And I'm like, I was horrified. I'm like, That many years I've been saying it wrong. And he's like, What word? And he says, Up you know, like lifted up for you. And then he he was at another Mass with me the next day because this priest was staying with us, giving a retreat. And he said, I think you did it again. I'm like, no, actually, I listen to myself. Sometimes I conjunct the words, lifted it up. You know, we say lift it up. And so I was like, oh. So I, w- I was having valid Masses. He just wasn't hearing because conjunctions. Oh, great question. Um, So the bells at Mass traditionally could be rung during the gloria. uh, Well, at the start of Mass, to signify people. Why do we ring the bell at the start of Mass? So because people can see you're going to be walking in. So the gloria, um, when the priest goes like this over the gifts, it's called the epiclesis. You know what EpiPen is, right? Epidural, Epi. Epi means above uh, or upon the Greek word epi, and so it's called epiclesis. Klesis. So it's calling down the Holy Spirit upon the gifts, and then the, the the boys ring that because at that moment you know the Holy Spirit's coming down, right? And then um, when the most important part of the Mass, the priest raises up the host, the the boys would ring it three times. Three is always the symbol for the the trinity but then also like in 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 a lot of languages like is anyone um have a samsung phone you know you know what samsung stands for in korean um i took a little bit of korean so uh, uh, samsung means three stars because like in english we have good better best they only have one word it's like and i don't, can't remember what the word is in korean but so when you have three of something it's the best and the same is in hebrew that's why we say holy 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 so it's like here's the something that's the the best part of the mass is coming right here so they're ringing it three times okay um and then they would ring it again when the priest would drink of the chalice now we use things at mass like incense and bells to incorporate all of our senses we sit we stand because to be human means to have both body and soul and this is what Blake was talking about in worship, you know, it's not just, I'm not coming there to be entertained by a rock band. I'm actually, I'm coming because I'm kneeling. I'm standing. I'm, I'm speaking. I got a part to speak. I'm using all of my senses, hearing, smelling because to be human is both body and soul and my body and soul are united and I'm lifting them up to the Lord. Okay. Um, And in the ancient days, or if you've been to some big churches in Europe, they would have like um, rude screens or in the Orthodox church, they'd have icons and then there'd be so much incense. People can't see, you know, you might be sitting behind a big pillar. What's going on? But you'd hear the bell. Oh, it's time for communion, right? The priest has drank the chalice. He says, consumetum est, it is finished. And then it's time to go up for communion. That's a great question. Sometimes I forget about the externals. Um, there's a time I think it's before one of the readings mm-hmm. you this? I don't even know what you do or what I do that. That's a great question. Um, so Lord be on my mind and on my lips and in my heart. Um, the priest the priest say he signs the um, the Gospel, the lectionary, the go- book of the Gospels, and then then he signs his, Lord be in my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. And this is t- taken over, the, the Jewish people would do this too, before they would read, they'd open up the scrolls, and then they, if you ever see them, even at like the the Western Wall and stuff, I um, can't remember where that's actually found at, it might be in Deuteronomy, but...
0: reading from the holy gospel according to john and then
2: to lord yeah and if you ever go to like a eastern catholic church or orthodox church they do some of the same things but they do everything and th- they do everything in threes so they do it three times and they do it with their left hand you know so it's like it's kind of like a little and they cross themselves three times and they do it with their left hand but yeah, <laughs> there's just a lot more bowing and a lot, there's just a lot more moving parts. Yeah. Uh, it used to be in the um, old days too, um, I should say old days, like probably from like the 1200s or 1300s to nineteen fifty. pretty soft times would wear berettas. And then every time the name Jesus is mentioned, they take their beretta off and they kind of bow their head. Because, you know, St. Paul in his letter, the Philippians... Right at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. is that? the Philippians, yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that like mean I know it was an older practice. Is that coming back more?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, what you're referring to is Mass Odd Orientum. So Orient, like Oriental Express. Orient means east. And so, odd means to, so it's to the east, to face east, because facing east is where the sun rises up, the glory of Jesus is coming back, and so it, what it signifies in celebrating Mass like that is, the priest is offering up a sacrifice, and the people of God are with him, and they're offering up to God. So that's what uh, Mass Autorentum signifies. Um, the church at Vatican II went it's called pro populo towards the people and celebrating mass towards the people so, signifies more of the, the fellowship and a communal meal. Um, so both are correct. Um, and both actually priests have an option. Um, we could never done it here. Um, because you couldn't stand in front of the altar cause there was no space. We could do it in the new church. Um, I know the renovations, um, so, we'll see what happens. And the, ma- the Mass has gone through some changes because it's um, uh, even though it's all biblically based, it, it's looked different at different times and places. Like, Jesus would have celebrated the, the Last Supper in Aramaic. Okay? They would have been all kind of around a low table, right? Sitting around it to, with each other and then in the early roman days they would have celebrated mass in a niche in a wall and that's kind of where that back to the people was started because they were celebrating mass in the catacombs like that um and then during the byzantine time they'd have this big square block in the middle of a church and round church mm-hmm. and people would be kind of around it um and so th- it's taken it's taken different um shapes throughout history and stuff but but the same mass. Um, yeah, the, the one thing that I just encourage you to do, it, it's like it's. So I, I went to the rodeo here uh, a few, about a month ago with some parishioners and they had never been to a rodeo and um, and they were like completely confused. And so I had to like, okay, well, come over to my place. We'll watch the national finals rodeo before we actually go and see it live in person. And so, you know, I kind of explained to them everything and they're like, Oh, this makes more sense. You know, if they, you kind of like dive into it and kind of study it and understand it. But then the more, the more we were there, the more they're like, I can see how you can get into this. It's the mass is the same in a way. Like unless you actually start going, and participating and doing things, it, then it, it'll come to make more sense. It's, um, so that's just my encouragement, um, to participate and come as frequent as you can. And I just, I'll just leave you with this uh, story. Like I've been privileged to be able to celebrate mass in, in a lot of places and, uh, around the world, um, doing different pilgrimages or missions and stuff. But recently probably one of the most moving masses I've ever, um, celebrated, um, as a celebrant was with, um, about a little over three months ago. Some of you may know this, but my dad was in a, a, a tragic accident, um, a farm accident and, uh, broke his, broke his neck in three different places and had to have a couple of surgeries arm. It was, it was a mess. We didn't know he was going to, he was going to make it. And, uh, This happened on October 1st well comes out of surgery um, October 2nd he's conscious and he seemed like he'd be in a lot of pain but he said the thing that was most painful for him was he had this dying thirst he's like I just want a drink of water I thirst you know he was just he was so thirsty and the doctors would not let him have any water or food for three days well he turned 66 on October 4th um, and he's in the hospital, and something just moved me. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go see dad on, on mass, or I'm gonna go see uh, my dad at uh, the hospital, but I'm gonna bring my mass kit. I'm gonna celebrate mass there for him, even if he can't receive. And right when I was walking in, saw the doctor, and the doctor said, you can have food. And so the first, the first taste that he got to taste after three days was the blood of Jesus Christ. And I tell you that story because I know each and every one of us thirst also. That we thirst for God's love. And God's love is manifest to us at each and every Mass. Because Jesus on the cross says, I thirst too, because He thirsts for you just like you thirst for him. And so I look forward to giving you um, communion. Uh, Those that are joining the church and those that are already Catholic, um, continue to participate in the eternal love of Jesus Christ for you at Mass. Let me give you a blessing. Lord, I ask you to bless and protect these sons and daughters of yours. Make their travels safe tonight and the days coming. Keep them warm with your love and send down your legions of angels to watch over them. Father, we thank you for the gift of your precious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose for us so that we might have life with you eternally in heaven. And we ask you to hear all the prayers of our hearts, all the concerns of our minds, so that one day we may continue to abide in you and build your kingdom. And may Almighty God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we ask You to hear all the prayers of our hearts, all the concerns of our minds, so that one day we may continue to abide in You and build Your kingdom. And may Almighty God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you for listening to this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and add our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.